Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Wonky Show. Uh, there's a government support package for universities and students, but is it a bailout? That's the question uh, we'll ask. Uh, there's a new registration condition that OFS is consulting on, at least for providers in England. Uh, and we'll also think through the politics uh, of all this and where all of this goes next. It's all coming up. Um, and what this does, I think, is a really pernicious thing, which is kind of separate out universities from the people who benefit from, from them. The students that go primarily, but also the communities and local regional economies and and so many Welcome to the Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Jim Dickinson up in the attic and it's government support package for universities and students time. Hooray! Uh, the question is, is it a bailout? Will it work? It's very late on a Sunday night. Uh, and with me are Mark and Debbie and DK from the team. Uh, quite informal. Debbie, lead us off. What's in the package? Right. So what's in the bailout? Um, it's not a bailout. <laughs> no. And, and that actually, I mean, of course, that, that, is, that is the key takeaway. It's not a bailout. There's no new money here. Um, there's been some restructuring of the timing on which existing funding has been uh, it will be allocated to the sector. So there's uh, 100 million in quality-related research funding, which of course is the funding that comes in as a result of the REF, um, and that will be brought forward to this year. So that was already in the pipeline, and, and universities are going to get it up front with the, 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 with the hope that that will kind of smooth out um, issues around research. Um, and the expectation is is that tuition fees will be paid up front in the autumn. So rather than getting 25% in September, universities will be able to get more than that. Um, and this is being billed as a sort of £2.6 billion in, in, uh, in bailout equivalent. But of course, that rather depends on the students showing up in the first place. There's uh, money for students in the sense that the Office for Students has clarified that the student premium fund, which is allowed to be used for student financial support, and if universities reallocate funding from their access and participation plans that may have been allocated elsewhere, they, um, they, you know, if they do that with good reason, then uh, the Office for Students will not mind. Um, and there's also some working groups. So um, on some of the trickier issues, uh, research sustainability, there'll be a working group on that and another on international recruitment to look at what measures the government might take as part of its international education strategy to uh, lure uh, international students back to the UK uh, in wake of COVID-19. And there's a few things that were really already in hand but are being sort of billed as part of this bailout. So for example, um, DfE has noted that um, there's a sum of money in this year's budget that is earmarked for buying land to uh, enable new schools, and this is something that you know universities may benefit from should they should they have land available. Uh, and with all this comes some strings. So. Uh, Universities UK asked for a student number control to be set across the whole sector at plus 5% of forecast numbers for the academic year 2020-21, and that, that is expected to be implemented. And there is a whole bunch of conditions designed to stabilise admissions and kind of dampen the effects of the market, um, which OFS has put out a parallel consultation on and we will discuss in due course. Well, fascinating. Now, DK, uh, Gavin Williamson, uh, 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 when he appeared in front of the Education Committee this week, set some tests, didn't he? Well, they weren't quite tests. They were aspirations that they were what he 
wanted for the sector. He was quite careful not to phrase them as tests, but let's face it, they were tests. So what he was looking for, stability for students, safeguarding research resources, and recognising the role providers play in the local uh, communities. Of course, all of those depend on providers actually continuing to exist so they can have research resources, offer students abilities and uh, play a role in local communities. So I think we can add that as like um, an overarching structure here. Interesting, DK. Right. So uh, let's let's start then uh, by um, uh, getting some hot takes. Mark? Well, the big thing for me is whether or not this is a bailout and, and clearly it isn't. Um, there are plenty of, uh, plenty of support pack, support measures that the sector have been asking for, like student number controls, um, all with some major strings. And, and the killer for me is the fact that it's, it's not new money. And this speaks to me, um, of the disagreement in government at the moment, uh, perhaps even in, in the sector at the scale of the problem. So the fact that there's no new money announced is basically bringing forward payments that were going to be made throughout next year. Um, and possibly with the, the, the hint of, um, so, some extra things like that land uh, fund that Debbie talked about, but it's not you know not significant bunches of cash. It tells me that uh, the Treasury isn't ready to spend money to save higher education. Full stop. Um, and and looking at what the the sectors asked for in the first place, which is what's what's taken us to to this package. Uh, perhaps many in the sector don't fully understand the scale of the problem. One that is probably going to span multi year, um, and and will have um, a huge and, and and differential impact across different sorts of universities. So we've been writing now for several weeks on the site about the number cap um, and the model that's being implemented now, uh, likely to benefit the top you know the the top most famous elite universities most able to recruit students at the expense of the weakest. Um, I, I'm not sure that's the intention of the government, but that's probably, that's probably what we're looking at. So this isn't a sector-wide bailout. It's, it's, it's a measures to kind of keep things on the road, a direction of travel, but there's a huge barrier a, or a mountain to climb even with the Treasury where universities are going to need billions billions and billions of, of taxpayers' money to survive. It's just the bottom line. Um, or the government has to make a decision that, that that's not what they're going to do at all. And we're going to have these kind of measures re-announced and repackaged and, until, you know, a third of the sector collapses in, in 12 months' time. Now, I, 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 before we move on and, and, and get some get some more time, it's not, it's, it's, let's, let's do a bit of devil's advocate. It's, it, it, so one of the things the press release says is that um, OFS has estimated that in England, the value of the support packages, you know, the wider support packages for the rest of the economy that the that universities could take advantage of could be worth 700 million. That's 700 million of no money, Mark. And in the meantime, we've got a working group to look at um, how, you know, the worst effects of, uh, uh, of international students not coming to the UK on the government's international education strategy, it says. So it's it's not even a working group to look at how to prop up providers who've lost 25% of their income by this coming September. It's just the position of perhaps the you know the UK and its its uh, international education export industry, which uh, I, I hate to break it to anyone um, tuning in this week, um, is, is not in the best of shape. What, what jumps out at me is it's the kind of, I guess the lack of acknowledgement of the possibility that that it might the students might not come in september and of course we're not talking all students and different students have different um drivers and different kind of uh, contexts that that are going to influence that decision but you know to be able to say confidently that universities are getting 2.6 billion pounds in support when that is basically a calculation on the assumption that universities will all be recruiting not 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 only what they've got this year but 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 plus five percent in a situation where it's really not clear whether what's on offer or well i mean it's just really not clear what's on offer 
to students. And there's nothing in the package that would particularly give students confidence that they, you know, not only will they have some, you know, be, be offered something that, that is of, of, of a, a decent quality and, and, and kind of that matches their aspirations, but that um, that will be able to kind of mitigate any kind of financial issues that, they'll be, that they, they and their families will be facing as a result of COVID-19. You know, it, 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 just, it just seems very sanguine. And of course, there's always a possibility that you know, come September, should the situation change, you know, as 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 you know, as as data emerges over the summer, that um, you know, that 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 students are kind of less inclined to come, that that, that may change the, the calculation um, on on the part of the government. But you know, even you know, sort of, uh, you know, you you UCAS uh, figures sort of seem to suggest that you know, eighty six percent of students at this time have said, oh well, we think we'll probably go to university. You know, these are students, that, are prospective students who who have already applied, um, and even if that remains true, which is you know, it's a very good number. There's still 14 percent who ha- who are saying, "Well, actually, no. I'm thinking I, I might change my plans." So you know, it, it's it's not um, none of this is a given. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a concern. But you say that, Debbie. So, so one of the things the press release says is the government expects. That's quite an interesting, uh, you know, word if nothing else. The government expects access to the business support schemes, the reprofiling of public funding, and the student number control added all up to be sufficient to help stabilise most providers' finances. Yeah, I, 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 you know, one of the questions, I guess, must be, you know, can we see your, can we see your workings out? <laughs> yes, please. I'd love to see the workings out. Uh, it's, I mean, let's be blunt. It's not. There is absolutely no way in hell. It's, I mean, the big, uh, the big spending amount, the uh, 2.6 million of reprofiled funds, coincidentally, a little bit bigger than the 2.5 billion that the London Economics Report was talking about last week, is money that universities were going to get anyway. They'd budgeted for it in um, January and in um, and in May of next year. So it's not actually. It would be a great uh, bailout if universities were facing an immediate cash flow problem, but that's not the issue. And I think this is where the problem lies. The uh, the treasury, it seems to me, are used to, to um, at the moment, are used to chucking money at things that are going to collapse imminently, like in the next day or so. Like, we're not actually going to have a logistics industry. We're not actually going to have any shops. So that is where they, that is the kind of profile of risk that, that they're dealing with, like, right now and they're dealing with it in the only way they can which is to chuck loads and loads and loads of money at it uh the the, the problem universities are facing is right at the moment they're not really facing a cash flow uh a problem universities are still going to be uh functional tomorrow and next week and next month so that is not the kind of risks that is turning on the treasury taps Instead, we're going to have to wait till September, October. We're going to have to wait until the crisis actually hits and universities are starting to panic and lace things off and sell random bits of land. And then I suspect we're going to get the actual bailout. We're going to get something that is actually going to make a difference to that immediate uh, point. It's particularly stupid because if we made something, if we did something um, now, like, I mean, I actually posted a bailout plan on the site on uh, Friday lunchtime that involves um, actually avoiding a lot of the risk by deferring the start of the year to January uh, 2020, running admissions as normal, and um, just covering the salary costs as a loan in the meantime. Now, I'm not necessarily a person to blow my own trumpet, but if we chose to do that now for the sector, that would fix all of these problems in the short to medium term. At the moment, we've not got anything that is really going to fix anything. 
I think uh, you know you have to ask how bad a thing's going to get before a bigger bailout comes. And Jim hinted at it in, in the, um, the the press release that we've we've all been sent um, on on Sunday evening. It says that um, the support package that's been announced should be sufficient, along with the uh, the rest of the government's wider support, the furlough scheme and the business interruption scheme, and um, and all of that. Um, and then and then talk of uh, really kind of provider by provider questions so um, it mentions a, a restructuring scheme for universities um, and it, it seems to me um, if we read between the lines that the government is saying right now this is it there isn't going to be a bailout of higher education this is what you're getting we've announced wider help for the economy which you're part of um, but if individual universities face collapse then we're going to look at those situations on a kind of case-by-case basis um, see whether um, they see it's whether it's something you want to survive, um, and, and look at the strings attached to, uh, to any kind of in, individual, uh, bailout question. I could quite well see that line being held for some time. Um, I think this does depend though on just how bad things are come September. And if we're looking at essentially zero international students coming to the UK, um, I think the numbers that UK um, and, the, and the rest of the sector will go to the Treasury with will start to look that much more stark. Um, and, I, and I think bringing forward that student loan payment, the 25%, uh, you know, is, is some is some help, but it's not it's not new money that you can plan to continue to run your university for you know for the for the next year. And what about the students um, already in years two and three and beyond? Um, and what about uh, the recruitment cycle for 2022? What are you meant to do? How are you meant to promise that you can provide? Uh, anything uh, really when you, you know you're not at all convinced that you're going to survive as a as a going concern well i mean let's have a look let, let, let's try and look in in some order about whether or not we think that that you know the measures that are there may work or not now you know clearly we don't know how many people are going to turn up in september there's still these really big questions about how many will defer how many people will be allowed to come from other countries uh, what home demand will look like which is moderately under researched at this point but but let's let's try and work through with some uh, with, with some order. DK, can you just uh, explain the potential problem with the forecast plus 5% student number control? So this is something that there's an article by Mark, by Mark uh, Corver on the site that uh, kind of dives into this uh, beautifully in that um, the problem with number controls is it assumes a normal pattern of um, applicant behaviour. So it basically assumes people are applying to and will accept places from the places that they would have done so anyway had this just been a normal year. Now, this is a gamble. This is a risk. If you start looking at applicant behaviour doing something uh, kind of slightly different, I mean, I mean, Mark Corver looked at the possibility of students wanting to stay at home i've looked on the site in other articles at the possibility of students all wanting to pile into the russell group or the high tariff uh uh providers which is the uh kind of risk everybody seems to be focused on it becomes quite difficult to see a way in which those caps are low enough to make an appreciable difference to student uh, demand. I mean, to put the forecast plus five percent into perspective, the forecasts that providers uh, 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 give OFS are legendarily way, way over the top. We've been over this a few times on the site, and then to add an extra five percent of growth when, for the last couple of years, we've seen something like 
1.5% growth year on year and that we're still in the environment where the number of 18-year-olds are going down. I think we hit the the, uh, the bottom of the trough this year and then it's going up after that. It seems very, very unlikely that we're going to get that. It's likely there'll be less students overall. Uh, some students might just want to defer entirely and get what they see as a proper university experience. Some students, because of local issues or concerns about their family, might elect to defer a year to do something to support their community or family. I think student numbers are going to go down overall, and that adds even more volatility into this um system so as far as we can tell from the research we've done the cap is actually going to make things more volatile rather than less and that's before even that we move into looking at the raw excitement that is clearing plus that we'll get to in a moment and 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 debbie this is part of the problem isn't it because if you've got a mechanism that's about sharing out the pain you probably need to know with 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 a reasonable guess, how much pain there will be before you design the mechanism, don't you? Yes. Well, I mean, yes. This this point has been made many times on the site, um, and I mean, I think well, so, so, some some something um, Gavin Conlon at London Economics has said is, is that you, there's no point having a plus five cap unless you've got a minus five as well. So you basically you basically put a kind of a, a, a lower threshold below which either I suppose you guarantee the income. Um, as government, or you, um, what, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you do, kind of frog march students to the um, university. It's the old tolerance <laughs> band thing that you. Um, it's the income. It's like, I mean, Hefke used to do back in the day. If you were kind of five percent down, you still get the money that you would have got. And I'm, I'm really disappointed to know, DK, that it's not that the government was actually going to go around and knock on 18-year-olds' doors and, you know, put yeah, masks on them and, and insist that they attend university. <laughs> Again, we will probably get to you to um, clearing plus later on. But this is yeah. <laughs> but this is the um, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, and this 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 has been the question all along. Really, is is that and demand is so enormously unpredictable this year. And of course, you know, we hope that many students will wish wish to attend university nonetheless. And we hope um, also that uh, what is on offer for them will be sufficient for them to continue to attend university. Um, and of course, there may be some canny students who think to themselves, well, actually, if I defer next year, and lots of people do that too, then next year is going to be very difficult to get into university. And so I might, you know, I might as well do it, do it this year, although you'd have to have quite a lot of foresight. I think actually one of the one of the kind of downsides of this uh, package, and and I think you know we we really we, we should caveat everything we're saying by sort of saying there are sort of enormous demands on government right now, um, and and it's been notable that lot, you know lots of universities have been extremely emollient in their you know university representative bodies have been extremely emollient in their response to this package, saying it's very welcome and um, and, and very positive step forward and, and and that sort of thing. But it it does also rule out the possibility of large scale. Um, compensatory measures, like for example a January start, it basically, you know, it basically kind of asserts the status quo without, you know, and and, and attaches quite a lot of conditions to maintaining the status quo. Specifically, that universities not behave in the competitive way that they've been encouraged to do so for the last decade, while um, not really kind of making the status quo, you know, you know, not not necessarily basing it on data that would give everyone confidence that the status quo is the best thing for the sector. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, I should probably take a couple of minutes to explain this other thing that is in the mix, shouldn't I? This um, this new OFS registration condition. So, uh, I, you know, the, the headline about kind of trying to reduce competitive behaviours is the student number control. 
But there's something else in the mix. So officially, uh, this morning, if you're listening to this on uh, Monday the... What's the date? I can't see. Monday the 4th. Officially, OFS is out consulting this morning on a new temporary condition of registration uh, in the management and governance uh, uh, basket. E6 uh, for uh, condition of conditions of registration fans. Um, and, and what this does is rule out and ban conduct that could reasonably have a material negative inf- in effect on the interests of students and the stability and or integrity of all or part of the English higher education sector. And I think what I would say is, if that sounds amazingly wide (laughs) and open to all sorts of interpretation, that's because it's amazingly wide and open to all sorts of (laughs) uh, interpretation. Um, And look, what OFS is getting at here is that effectively what it's saying is, whilst the student number control can do something around the kind of English undergraduate market, it doesn't deal with, you know, PGT or suddenly turning around to international students and dropping your English language requirements or all of the other things that you might do that, that might put, you know, might destabilise the sector. It doesn't cover, you know, taking out, uh, getting your people on your uh, on your phone banks to start bad-mouthing the university up the road for, for its pr- online provision. So it doesn't cover all sorts of what the press or Damien Hines in the olden days or OFS uh, have always called some of the bad behaviours in the market. So it's designed this temporary registration condition. Officially, the words are what, what I said a few minutes ago. And then there are, as, as ever with um, the regulatory framework, examples of bad behaviour. And the examples include uh, conditional and conditional offers. So they basically just get banned. Making lots of unconditional offers in general or lots of low offers. You know, the sort of offers that, that pretend not to be unconditional, but really are because they're so low. Like the famous Oxford uh, uh, 2E offer, of course. Absolutely, yeah. Offering gifts or discounts designed to attract students away from their original choices. So, here, do you want an iPad? Um, Making false or misleading statements about someone else. Financial support packages made available by the government for purposes that don't serve the interests of or, or of the public. So taking a load of money and paying your VC a, a, a fat salary or something. I don't know. Um, failing to secure the standard of qualifications awarded to sh- one of the things about lots of these things is I thought lots of these things were already banned, and so you know. What- <laughs> oh, this bans them more then. This bans them. What this bans no, them no, more? No, no, we definitely, definitely don't want any of that behaviour. Um, uh, uh, and, and but but the, of course the other way of reading it is that this is a, a really quite deep and and significant attack on the autonomy of institutions. Now, if you're the sort of person that says nothing wrong with unconditional offers, they give people lots of safety and security. They're a, they're a morally good thing to do. You know, they take stress off students. You know, and so on and so on. You can understand. You know, that what you're likely to say this is a terrible attack on your autonomy. If you're the sort of person that says, "Oh my God, all these unconditional offers are, are, are bums on seats, outrages that aren't in the best interest of students, and manipulate people with dodgy sales behaviour," this is this is great news. Now, to some extent, those two positions have been kind of held in flux for a while. <laughs> um, what this does is say, "No, pick it aside." And the list of kind of banned behaviours, you imagine, were brainstormed one day in the admissions review that OFS has now paused as all of the worst things anyone could ever do. Every front page of, you know, every, you know, broadsheet ever of, of all the naughty things that people could do inside of market. nothing on grade inflation, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair, grade inflation is missing. And, and I then kind of listed, and but, 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 and, and so then you end up with OFS kind of giving itself, and let's be clear, it will end up giving itself the power, not 
just giving itself the power, but also the power to backdate that power with an extraordinary set of words that allows it to somehow turn the clock back to March the 11th, even though people have already given out offers. That what what what, what this does then is significantly extend all of that power. Explicitly says we are going to set aside institutional autonomy because students' interests aren't served by it at this point. And the big question for the sector will be. Do we, is this the hill we die on right now in this room with this crisis in relation to our autonomy around offer making? That will be a tough one when people are writing their consultation responses. Well, this, I think that, yeah, the sort of surprising thing in some ways is, is that the consultation is happening at all. Because what are they going to do? Say, oh, well, people really don't like this. We're just gonna... <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, it, as it turns out, people, um, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it kind of... Um, I mean, we are in we are in unprecedented times, but it does Hooray! rather expose. Hey, drink! But it does it does rather expose the kind of um, the consultation process. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm I've ne- I've never been especially convinced that. Um, I mean, I, th- I think I think all the responses probably get read. I, I don't think they get acted upon as a rule, and I, I very much doubt that in this instance there's going to be the blindest bit of notice paid to them. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, and maybe you know maybe, maybe the kind of premise that something may have been missed or something may not have been considered um, holds holds true now as, as as it did before. But I mean, of course, the the other kind of um, important thing to remember holds true here, which is is that once you've given away power, it's awfully difficult to get it back. There is a sunset clause, of course. Government surveillance and regulatory intervention. Yeah, Um, I mean, they have got this thing that they need to do another consultation if they want to extend it after a year. Um, Again, your comments on uh, uh, consultations are well-founded, although I think there are often some instances of um, good quality regulatory consultations. Uh, It's not often, especially with stuff like this, that a provider is going to get um, a free choice. But, I mean, like you, I'm not sure I see this ever being handed back. The government has long wanted more control over admissions, which is strange for a government that uh, claims to believe in a, um, a free market. They also feel like there are good and bad courses that, somehow all of this information in the market is not able to identify and students keep applying to do stuff that they want to do. And, and I mean, that, that this, this this set of contradictions, I mean, I think my favourite thing, in the press release, there's a moment where, you know, effectively uh, DFE jump on this uh, thing about incentives and say somewhere in the press release, uh, you know, this 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 giving out inappropriate incentives like, you know, dangling iPads in front of people as, a, as an incentive to come would obviously not be allowed anymore. You know, the sort of thing we've seen in the press a lot. <laughs> Two bullet points apart, the, the press release says, oh, well, we're very pleased to say that, uh, you know, poorer students will be able to have a laptop bought for them out of the student premium funding that OFS allocates. And it's like, so, hold on. <laughs> so, so laptops are bad, <laughs> but laptops are essential. And and if, if ever there was a moment where you've got the kind of ultimate contradiction between the way in which different people will read and interpret some of these behaviours in a market with, you know, incentives and competition, it would be that. I think to... to, to... Can I say just two rejoinders to, to Debbie and DK? One is that um, I, I think that uh, it's, it's possible that the kind of the bargain has been done. So, I mean, it is a sacrifice of autonomy um, in return for just that baseline stability for the next few months. And, you, you know, you're not going to see the university representative bodies today pushing back really hard um, on this consultation and on the, um, on the proposal. They've been happy to cooperate with the moratorium up to now, completely on a voluntary basis, on the understanding that the government was working on, you know, some, some, some more of a carrot. 
Um, and I, and I think, I think essentially that deal's been done. Um, and as for the free market, I, I think that that could be finished. You know, DK, you said that the government believes in free market and in normal times, I'd agree with you, but the whole economy has changed. The whole nature of this government and its purpose has changed. And I no longer think that free market economics is the underlying driver for a lo- lot of decisions. Um, and coming out of uh, the pandemic, I think we'll see, you know, large parts of the economy nationalized, for example. Um, and, a lot of a lot of market theory that the system was built on will essentially collapse, and and what will be interesting for all of us is is kind of coming up with a way of of you know funding higher education, delivering a higher education system after all of that has been completely reconfigured. Um, I don't even think the government has a clear ideological sense um, of of what it's going to want to achieve after. Uh, after we we start rebuilding, but uh, that's certainly a movable feast. Now, 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 but, now, now, now let, let's have a think about students for a minute. So, first of all, can someone remind me what what is in here for students financially, if anything? Um, you've got the possibility of um, a share of a forty six million pounds extra money into hardship funds uh, coming. It's not from, extra money. It's not extra money. There is. It's it? not extra money because it's, it already exists. The, that's right. And if you wanted to tell you that that comes to a little over £25 for every student that's currently in English HE. I mean, the, the, the point being that there's probably still more students in financial hardship than are going to be served by, the, by this £46 million. Pounds. Yeah, indeed. It's not much money. It's not much extra money. Uh, the other thing we have to, that is conspicuous by its absence here, is the many campaigns for partial or complete student fee refunds. Yeah, it's still in yeah. entirely possible students could make these claims and, as we saw, OIA, sorry, OIA, annual report. Uh, last week, there is the possibility that they could look uh, kindly on such um, claims. This is another potential huge impact on individual providers, and there's no money at all in there to deal with that. So if you're a student looking for a bailout, it looks like your choice is you can ask for a fee... Um, fee refund or you can have a university next year i mean choose one yeah i mean there's a there's a there's a there's a really funny bit in uh, the ofs consultation which says what you mustn't do is uh tell lies about what other people are offering in relation to you know like online teaching and stuff and i was thinking yeah that's fine but but how do you tell the truth about what you're offering in relation to september because i'm not sure anyone knows what they're offering in relation to september yet do they indeed not i mean i've been talking to a bunch of academics and i'll Although I have to say they've done a fantastic job in shifting a lot of teaching online and some of that online move is of really, really high quality. Um, the vast majority of it, it is emergency learning. It is uh, the last resort. It's what they've managed to track together in a couple of weeks. That's fine for this term. But it is not something that they could realistically say to students next term, this is what we're offering. It's not the same as the fully automated luxury online learning, if you will, um, that you would get from the Open University or Birkbeck. I was going to say, I think, I, think, I think this speaks to the kind of um, problem of, of not taking a kind of system, system level approach. Because, I mean, one of the things that, for example, Universities UK asked for, and this speaks to, you know, the Gavin Williamson's thing about, about you know, universities serving their place. Universities UK actually said, and this was, I mean, presumably a political calculation, but a sensible one, to say, make a fund available for a, you know, thinking about the future of universities, thinking about restructures, maybe mergers, um, 
you know, thinking about how universities can kind of best serve society going forward. Now, from the conversations I've been having um, as part of a, a piece of work that we're going to be uh, launching later in the week, uh, you know, be talking to kind of sort of senior people, particularly on, on boards and um, involved in kind of sex sector level kind of support for governors. And, you know, the appetite is absolutely there to think about how do we not, you know, rethink the entire of higher education, but, you know, think again about what more could be done to better, you know, to serve the needs of society in a post-COVID um, world. And, by putting in, you know, by, by 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 not kind of thinking about that bigger picture and about the kind of the, some of the kind of bigger possibilities for significant change, you know, for example, <laughs> you know, good example, moving everything online. There's lots and lots of opportunities there to, to you know to do things differently and do them in an interesting way. If 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 it is thought through and it is done carefully and it is kind of and the, and the kind of balance is struck between serving the needs of a student population that wants to study face to face versus you know the bigger picture, but doing things in a kind of piecemeal drip drip drip, you know you know individual institutions where they fall into financial issues uh we will you know look at look at the situation in that in that particular context kind of way really does miss an opportunity to in actually in some ways achieve all the things that the government's been agitating about and that we saw in the Ogre review and, and and that sort of thing but just on that isn't it amazing that we've got a whole bunch of you know got a, a relatively you know kind of fleshed out proposal here from government we've got a significant intervention from the regulator of higher education in england <laughs> none of it talks about what may or may not actually get delivered in september uh none of it talks about whether or not you know we really ought to delay for a whole term none of it talks about you know when universities may open or not open none of it talks about online learning none of it talks about students it's extraordinary the extent to which it doesn't really talk about the things that students are and academic staff are talking about well you know for the from the government's end you know it has to kind of it's it's, it's on until it's not like the rest of um like the, like the rest of the economy and they don't i guess from their perspective they don't want to shake confidence in the hg system and start creating even more uncertainty in uh, in terms of particularly what applicants are going to do um and, and also or, or incentivize universities not to be geared up um to, to, to starting in September, if that is at all possible. But this this is the great question, isn't it? Because for loads and loads and loads of both first year students and continuing students, that, that they owe their landlord rent money. Some from July, some from June the first, some from July the first, some from September the first. So the ones where you know the money's due on June the first, would you pay everyone at this point? I'm not sure I would. Depends how badly I wanted to get away from my parents, or depends how badly <laughs> I, I kind of. I, I hope that would be possible. I mean, yeah, it's a complicated calculation. And, it, and, it, and it's a month I'm, away. I'm an inveterate follower of the rules, so I, I would pay. But, that, but that's, that's a dispositional thing, not a kind of cal- calculated thing. Yeah. Now, DK, tell us about Clearing Plus. Oh, Clearing Plus. Now, this is this has cropped up in the bailout, not a bailout package, and I have no idea why it is there. It's, it's, uh, for what I can tell, it's something that... Uh, it's the third Newcastle, bullet point. <laughs> yeah, um, it's something that, I mean, Newcastle were planning to do anyway, which is to give uh, kind of better support to people that are entering clearing that are not holding a firm acceptance in July, um, a firm offer, sorry, in July. Um, it just, I mean, rather than saying, okay, here's all the universities and courses in the world, take your pick, they're, they're actually going to give students a little list of courses that might suit them. So if you're applying to do, say, politics and you haven't got any of your um and you haven't got any offers from the places you applied, it would suggest some other places that you might want to look at um, kind of doing politics that would fit your expected grade. Now, this is what UCAS are saying, um, clearing classes. But what DFE is saying, um, clearing classes, a personalised service, and that's going to be, be 
absolutely ringing massive alarm bells for anybody with any involvement in edtech. Um, it's a new service which matches students to universities or other opportunities based on their achievements and course interests. If a student's calculated grades, that's their actual A-levels this year, ex- exceed their predicted ones, it can suggest alternative courses with higher entry requirements. Now, as far as I can tell from the UCAS press release, it's not going to do that unless um, an applicant decides to release their firm offer if they get um, higher grades and enter the world of self-release and adjustment. Now, it's a little bit like a version of Tinder, where in order to see your matches, you need to be absolutely sure that you've broken up with your current partner. Think that the idea of students thinking that there have been some courses specifically selected that they might get on, but they have to let go of their existing offer. That's kind of slightly peculiar. Um, And although it's going to help students entering um, clearing without an offer. I'm not sure what it's doing in this bailout. So, so let me get this right. So you, so if you say, if you do better in this new A-level result thing they're creating than you kind of thought, you uh, and the uh, and uh, and better than the sorts of universities you applied to in terms of tariff points, you can release yourself, and then the computer will tell you what you could have won. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, I think you're grasping for the idea of a game show uh, format <laughs> oh, is a it. lot uh, a lot safer than my metaphor. Okay, can I can I can I can I make a pitch for the rationale here because I think I think I think I see it. So. Um, if if this was kind of pure tech, you know, if it if, if this was sort of designed by tech bros, shall we say, then it would it would make it, it would be very much kind of like, are you are you sure this is your choice? But you know, think of all these other things you could have won. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think UCAS is saying um, students who, for whatever reason, have have rethought their offer should need some kind of help to. Uh, think through what their alternatives might be because at the end of the day if you've chosen your university you're happy with that choice even if you have you know in in, uh, in heavy quote marks and uh, you know grades that are um you know above above the university that, that, that you've landed with then, then why would you need to see the alternatives you know and i don't think and in some ways it's really not helpful to be kind of trying to nudge those students if however you have decided that that is not the university for you for whatever reason um then having a kind of selection of, of, of possibilities seems like it would make quite a lot of sense, as opposed to having you know the entire kind of gamut of every university and every clearing course. So I think possibly UCAS is thinking through this in a kind of in, in a kind of student-centered way. What I think is is that the government is now turning this into a kind of what what we know. What <laughs> Has anyone got anything to put in the press release? Yeah. The, 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 well, the, the, the perennial problem of you know uni, of, of students kind of. Making horrifying choice, you know, choice, choices that are not in their best interests. If the yeah. only thing that you think the students' interest is is getting to the most prestigious university possible, which is of course not always in students' best interests. Yeah, because two things strike me. So one, that tariff points are explicitly not in the TEF. <laughs> you know, we don't, in theory, have a government that says tariff points are the determiner of best or quality. We actually have a series of other things that are, are supposed to point that out. Um, and also, sh- sh- surely this would make sense in a year where there weren't number controls rather than when there were. Because if you suddenly got number controls, it's a- it ain't half a risk to release yourself, isn't it? It is literally adding more um, uncertainty into the system. I mean, I yeah, um, that is what it's doing. But, I mean, self- self-release existed last year. This was a... A new thing. It was tried. It was tried in 2019. A proportion of students. What was it? 10,000 students. It was about 26,000 ish. Okay. Yeah. So you know, a, a or no, maybe it was 10 percent then, something like that. But or five percent. Anyway, 
and, and you know, a number of students find it useful. And of course, that is in the student interest because why would you have to, you know, you should not have to wait for your university to release you before you kind of go off and, and, and make other other sorts of decisions. Um, you know, so I think, you know, this 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 was some some of the stuff was on the roadmap anyway. Um, and you know, rather like GFE's plans to buy up university buildings and convert them into schools or, or you know for other projects, <laughs> mysterious other projects. Um, you know, the, the, this this is a, a a number of things that have been have been put in to kind of generally give reassurance and a sense that things are being done. So look, Mark, before we um wrap this up and get some sleep um, and put various uh, finishing touches to to blogs. There's lots of coverage of of, of various aspects of this on the site um, this morning. Just talk to us for a minute about the kind of framing of all this and the politics and where this might go next. So I think that uh, we talked about this on last week's podcast. Justin Trudeau got this really, really right a couple of weeks ago with a massive package to support uh, Canadian un- universities, but starting with the interest of students. Um, and I think one of the kind of neatest things about that was um, how it showed the power and importance of higher education around, centered around the people who um, experience it and benefit, benefit it from it. And one of the kind of habits we have in this country is always talking about higher education from um, a kind of supply side rather than the demand side, if you, if you, if you kind of want to use economic terms. Um, and what this does, I think, is a really pernicious thing, which is kind of separate out universities from the people who benefit from, from them, the students that go primarily, but also the communities and local regional economies and, and so many, uh, that depend on, on the sector in so many different ways, as we, we talk about a lot on Wonky. Um, and I think one of the really dispiriting things is to see a kind of con- essentially a continuation of that, of that trend in this kind of moment of, of maximum national tragedy, danger, crisis. You know, everyone's paying attention that everyone is watching, um, to not use this as an opportunity to, 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 to kind of frame really positively, you know, the importance and power of, of universities, um, starting, as I say, with the people who benefit from them, the students being com- almost completely absent, as we've talked about from this bailout proposal, as I say, total missed opportunity. And, and I think a serious long-term problem. Um, I also think, you know, possibly less generously, even more cynical than that, DK mentioned the 2.6 billion looks very similar to the, to last week's 2.5 billion. The 2.5 billion was a whole that we expect to see in the, in the sector's budget next year. And the government's announcing 2.6 billion. It's not, it's not new money. And I, we talked about this. I just want to reiterate, it's not new money. It's just money brought forward that the, that the sector was going to get, uh, sector was going to get already. It just seems to me, and we haven't seen Monday's papers yet, but it seems to me that government is going for a kind of quick headline. 2.6 billion looks like, you know, oh, well, that's fair cop, you know, universities, not sure, you know, how much we should be really supporting them in these days, you know, as a, you know, person on the street, just look at the look at the comments under any national newspaper article about uh, higher education and bailouts over the last couple of weeks, and you'll see all of those kind of concerns writ large. Um, speak to your friends and family over the next couple of weeks, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I heard those universities—they're getting what was it, two, three, four billion pounds? You know, that sounds good." Um, no, the government isn't providing new money, and the people who are kind of at the sharpest end of this, um, most kind of exposed and and and, in, and most peril, um, are getting absolutely nothing at all. So I think there's something fairly cynical going on there and i also think it's it's a real missed opportunity um what we what i think one of the most interesting things about this whole package does tell us though is that the the government will also know that it needs to approach this on a provider by provider basis not just because it clearly can't agree on a on a big political package but also i think because of the kind of the local politics the last general election the much discussed red wall broke and there are now a bunch of new tory mps representing 
seats with universities in them, many in the north and the Midlands. Um, those MPs would be absolutely crazy to to want to see a university fail on their watch, as would a government want to see any university fail. Um, so I guess what we we have to pin our hopes on now are regional deals and regional politics um, slanted in the sector's favour. In, in as I say, in that in that the governing the governing party being the Tory party and, and there being so many new Tory MPs uh, with major universities in their seats. Uh, coming together to make sure that individual universities don't fall over. Um, but we would have missed a massive opportunity to tell everyone in the country about why we all need to club together to save our most precious institutions. Um, and uh, I think it's a real pity. So that's about it for this special edition. Remember to delve deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast automatically. Uh, Just search for The Wonky Show via uh, Apple Podcasts or your favourite Android podcast directory. Uh, Or you'll find the feed you need on wonky.com forward slash podcast. And if you fancy appearing as a guest on The Wonky Show, drop us an email on team at wonky.com and we'll be in touch. So thanks to Mark and Debbie and DK, everyone else at Team Wonky for making it all happen behind the scenes. And until next week, stay wonky. (laughs) 